0: If you have a writing utensil, hopefully you do, I want you to write down the fear. It's so funny. I mean, God's obviously talking about fear, but I want you to write down the fear that's like nagging. It's kind of like, oh, this is the one that keeps coming up over and over and over. And then I want you to write right next to it the thing you most recently did to react to it. So I'm going to use Samantha as an example because she told me that I could. I got advanced permission. Samantha is has been historically terrified of puppies. Tiny puppies, big puppies, all puppies. And most recently, I've witnessed Sam kissing a dog. Yeah, so Samantha Stoltz literally kissed her little grand dog on the head. This is a reaction to a fear. In the same week, she ran away and cowered around me, hugged me, the tightest she's hugged me in two weeks, because a little, what kind of, a little, some kind of little white fluffy thing barked at her on the trail when we were walking on the trail. So she kissed a dog, and then she was terrified of a puffball within two weeks. Okay, so something like, in, along this vein, what is the thing that's like nagging you and then whats what's been your most recent reaction you can remember, whether positive or negative? Don't give the church answer, I need help in this area. The real answer. The real answer. I'm just going to add a little bit, a little porch into what Barbara just prayed. Holy Spirit, in this room right now, we bind fear in the name of Jesus. We say it has no hold here. There's, you got nothing in us. Will you pour out your love? I just thank you, Jesus. Barbara is right. You prepared us to receive this message by dealing with fear really in a real practical and physical way. So would you help us not to invite that back in? Even as we're thinking about fear, let us not invite it back in. Just will you break the strongholds in our thinking, just the habits of fear? The Lord says over us, he says, there are some things that you're not really that afraid of, but you think you're afraid of it, so you keep being afraid of it. He says, I want to break that habit. It's a stronghold. It's a stronghold of thinking, that habit of fear. So, God, I, just, I pray, would you shine the light of Yeshua in this room, the light of Jesus. Jesus, would you show us what you were afraid of? Will you show us where you were afraid and where you let the Father deal with your fear? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. There's nothing you've been tempted in or tested in that Jesus can't relate to. And the Bible says that. It says you're not enduring any testing or temptation that Jesus can't relate to, that he didn't actually endure himself, and he took all of it on the cross. So there's victory over all fear. We want the fear of the Lord, and that's it. No other fear. That's kind of the goal, actually, is to get rid of our fears. Fear drives most of our sin. Most of our sin is driven by fear. Okay, so I'm going to continue to talk about core values because David said he was talking about core values, and that was my hint, to keep talking about core values. So this morning, we're going to talk about the core value to ready ourselves for the opening of heaven by an extravagant commitment to the wrestle of growing in holiness. I don't know who wrote this core value, but they are very descriptive and made sure everything was in it. To ready ourselves, everybody say ready, for the opening of heaven, point up, Heaven's actually opening right now by an extravagant commitment to the wrestle. Act like you're wrestling something of growing in holiness. Can everybody shine? Okay, I'm going to do that one more time. We're going to act out the core value. Okay, to ready ourselves. Everybody say ready for the opening of heaven by an extravagant extravagant commitment to the wrestle of growing in holiness. Okay. I just feel better doing that. Okay, now, item one, witnesses of what? Who in, who in this room believes that if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be a witness? You actually need to be a witness. You really do. That's what Jesus, that's the great commission is to be witnesses of these things. And We should be like, of what things, Jesus? Witnesses of what things? So if you grew up in America and you were raised in the church, you think you're a witness of saying the prayer and getting saved. That's not the witness, that you won't see anybody in the Bible doing that. It's a witness of getting victory over your own self-leadership. That's the witness. Okay, so witnesses of what? Enduring and resisting. Everybody say enduring. You're supposed to be a witness of enduring something. Do you know what you're supposed to be a witness of enduring? Trouble. Hardship. Do you know what you're supposed to be a witness of resisting? You. (laughs) You. You're supposed to be a witness of enduring mostly other people. So if you think of most of the trouble in all the world, it's almost always somebody's like, it's that guy's fault. You're supposed to be a witness of enduring mostly other people, the trouble in life, and resisting you. Now, mostly we learn to resist the trouble and endure ourselves. I would just be, I'm gonna get, I'm going to get there someday, but for right now, everything's just fine the way I am right now, and that person's the reason everything's going wrong. That's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is... I can deal with that person because Jesus is doing something inside of me. He's actually bringing his kingdom from the inside out. Do you see how the opposite of the false gospel is the opposite of the way the kingdom's coming? Luke 17, the Pharisees ask Jesus, Jesus, what's going to be the sign of your kingdom coming? He says, the the kingdom doesn't doesn't come in a way to be seen because the kingdom is within you. And he says, there's going to come a day where you're going to have a hard time enduring other people is what he was saying. You're going to have a hard time enduring the trouble in the earth. So it's not just people, it's trouble. But we typically assign responsibility for the trouble in our lives. And that's the opposite of the gospel. If you want to assign responsibility for the trouble in your life, hold up a mirror. And be like, oh, this is actually designed. God's working all things for the good of that guy. Because he's loved and called according to his purpose. So if God's working all things for the good of that guy in the mirror, that means I'm the cause of my own trouble. This is really important. This will give you victory over Satan. Okay, Acts 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Were they witnesses before the Holy Spirit came upon them? No, they couldn't be because he wanted witnesses to him. He wanted witnesses of himself. He wanted witnesses that would show the world the way that Jesus endured trouble people and resisted his own flesh. They could not do that without the Holy Spirit. What I'm going to talk to you about today is impossible without a supernatural thing happening called the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you and empowering you. So you might think, no, we got to resist all, those, all that darkness, all those dark people, and just get everybody feeling good that they're saved. That's the opposite of the gospel. Do you see what I'm saying? This is all over the church right now. Now, true followers of Jesus are witnesses of and to Jesus. Jesus lived in a very particular way. So, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to help me get through all these notes. I feel like the Lord said that to me. Keep me from distraction, keep me from giving into my flesh and wanting to talk about everything. Let me talk about what you're talking about in Jesus' name. Jesus lived in a very particular way and requires those that he's leading to do the same, okay? So John five nineteen, then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. So Jesus lived this way. He didn't claim to have power to do anything. In fact, he claimed to lay down his power to do and then only do what he saw the Father doing. He said again, John five thirty, I can do of myself nothing, As I hear, I judge. So he didn't even judge according to his own thoughts, his own emotions, and his own will. He let the Father tell him what to think, is what that means. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 15 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So he said, follow me in the same reality. Don't try to be righteous on your own. Stay in me like I stay in the Father. And then give up your thoughts, your emotions, and your will, and let me tell you what I think, what I feel, and what I want to do. And if you do that, you'll bear fruit, okay? Those are the witnesses. This is the basic gospel, what I'm telling you. This isn't something new. This is the basic route of salvation is learning to do this, okay? Now, the great cloud of witnesses were witnesses of another kingdom that can be seen and had another, a vision of another age. So, the witnesses that you are supposed to be, you're supposed to be added to what's called the great cloud of witnesses. Who knows what passage of the Bible you find out about the great cloud of witnesses? Hebrews, thank you. Hebrews 11 and 12, we find out about the great cloud of witnesses. This is, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, this is, this is the most condensed teaching on the way faith will create a witness of Jesus on the earth in the last days. Hebrews 11 and 12 is the most condensed version of how faith will create a witness of Jesus on the earth in the last days, okay? And this is the great cloud of witnesses. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. That all sounds like good witnessing. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Oh, wait, it was their weakness? That was what you were witnessing? Became valiant in battle, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens, usually dealing with their own fear when that happened. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, Wait, this is the witness you're looking for? Torture, not accepting deliverance? That they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute. Whoa, hey, hey, that's not a very American church witness. You're broke. You can't pay your bills. And you think that's a good witness of Jesus? It can be. If you're trusting in Jesus and he got you there, yes, it can be. But if you're just trying to deal with all those external enemies, resisting all the bad things, and enduring your own greed, your own selfishness, your own fear, you're not a good witness of Jesus. You can have a billion bucks and still be a terrible witness of Jesus. You can have all the right words and still be a terrible witness of Jesus, okay? I like that one. Afflicted, tormented, of whom the world... I'm getting ready to make some financial choices that are hard of the world was not worthy they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise so not only that they were witnesses of something that the flesh can't see as a good witness they didn't get vindicated is what that means they didn't receive the promise they didn't get the gallons of money they didn't get the healing. They didn't get the thing that they were believing God would give them, and that's why they were enduring as a witness. Jesus got the cross. He got resurrected, yes, but he's still waiting for a kingdom. He didn't get the promise yet. So we have to be a people. We don't gauge what this witness of Jesus looks like based on what we see or what we even think other people see. That's the most tempting thing to do is, well, I'm going to do this so people see I'm faithful. They can't. Do it so God sees you're faithful. (laughs) He's the only one that can, okay? We can couch all kinds of rebellion with little Jesus painting over it and saying, well, I'm just doing this so everybody sees Jesus in this. They can't. That's bad math. Jesus sees whether or not you're obeying him, and that's the only thing that matters, okay? Oh, the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, so there's, there's a little chapter break, but there's no thought break. This is the very next sentence. Therefore, because of that, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, both angels and people, let us lay aside every weight. What's the weight? It's every false thing that slows you down that's not a sin. It's every unnecessary thing that's weighing you down from getting totally free as a witness That you endure enemies in trouble and you resist your own self-leadership. What are we witnesses of? Are you mostly a witness of enduring, having patience with trouble and enemies and resisting your own self-leadership? Or are you mostly a witness of resisting all the bad things that could happen to you and just giving yourself peace to be the way that you are? There are two different things, okay? Okay. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Easily. This isn't talking about the top five sins, you know, the deadly ones that you haven't done in the last three years. This is talking about the sins that you do every day. The sins of unbelief. The sins of giving into fear. The sins of being lazy with your emotions. The sins of not getting the leadership of Jesus before you get the leadership of you and asking Jesus to stamp blessed on the things that you decided to do. Those are the sins that this is talking about. Okay, It's the sin of Peter, the best example I can think of, it's the sin of Peter being in the Garden of Gethsemane just after lying to Jesus saying, I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. Your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. The sin of not believing Jesus is warning. The sin of falling asleep in the Garden with Jesus while he's sweating blood. These are the sins this is talking about. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not that you didn't look at porn. Though you shouldn't do that either. Okay, no. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, oh, and let us run endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus and all the characters held up as examples of faith in the Bible were witnesses to a source of guidance and a source of power that comes from an unseen place. Jesus would weigh rather you supernaturally talk to one person by the power that comes from the spirit of prophecy, then get a stadium full of people and tell them Bible truths unanointed. He would much rather that you did something that witnessed the power of Jesus than the power of you is what that means. Much rather. Abiding in Jesus means only one thing. Abiding in Jesus means one thing. Everybody say one thing. Only one thing. It means only one thing. Hearing him and doing what he says. That's what it means to abide in Jesus. That's not easy. What I'm saying takes a miracle. He speaks with a still, small voice. Your emotions, what you feel emotional about, will cloud out what Jesus is saying to you to the point where you'll tell yourself Jesus is telling you what you want to hear or what you're afraid to hear. Both. And then go do things that are completely unled and get confused. This takes literally a lifetime called sanctification of learning where your fears get in the way of hearing God. That's what the Bible's talking about. all those characters in the Bible, that great cloud of witnesses, they got victory over things everybody would be. When you read that list, aren't you like, "That sounds awful.'m I don't want people trying to kill me. I don't want people trying to saw me in two. Who wants to get sawn in two? And does that inspire fear in anybody? Raise your hand if that inspires fear in you. What this is talking about is people that got victory over that fear, that exact fear. Do you see what I'm saying? He's calling us to this. There's only one way that happens. It's not by being like, okay, Jesus, when they try to saw me into I'm going to say, here's the Bible. I believe it. No, it's what Vince was just prophesying. It's the little things. That's how you grow in strength to not be afraid. It's the little things. It's the barking dog. It's the fear of running out of money. It's the fear of getting cut. It's the fear of falling down. It's all those little fears that we learn the victory of God. He holds me in his hands. He, he says, not a sparrow falls without his permission. Every hair is numbered on my head. Do I believe that in victory over little fears? If I don't believe it in victory over little fears, how could I possibly expect that I'm going to believe it when they try to saw me into it? This is what he's trying to say to Peter. Peter, you're imagining the wrong battle, man. You're imagining pulling out your sword and cutting off somebody's ear. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is asking you to trust me when they call you a criminal, not a great friend of Jesus. When they call you a criminal with Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? We don't know the thing that Jesus is getting us ready to endure. You don't know your future. But he, if you're willing to say no to the fear, if you're willing to resist your own flesh and endure the trouble that comes your way, if you're willing to do that, and I don't mean accepting all trouble is from the Lord. What I mean is not thinking all the trouble is from the devil and just trying to pray away every trouble while neglecting your own sanctification. Do you see what I'm saying? There's some things abiding in Jesus will tell you to resist, like the sickness this morning, or the pain this morning. We're supposed to resist that. We don't just like, oh, great, Vince is in pain, sweet, keep on, keep it on. We actually are supposed to resist it when the Holy Spirit highlights it and says resist it. But we're not spending our entire morning talking about how everybody's against us, and this is never going to work unless God gets rid of all the bad guys, right? You see the difference? Okay. So abiding in Jesus means hearing him and doing what he says. But there's a lot in that. This is what bears the only fruit Jesus is looking for. So that means all of our effort should be given to dealing with the fears that keep us from hearing God. What's some of the main fears that keep us from hearing God? Impatience. A fear of running out of time. If I don't make this decision fast, bad things are going to happen. I don't have time to wait on the Lord on this one. I will wait on him on the next one. That's a fear of running out of time. What are some other fears that keep us from hearing God clearly? A fear of man. What will people think about me? Yeah, fear of looking stupid. Fear of looking like you don't know what's going on. A fear of looking sinful. That will drive a ton of rebellion. Just a fear of looking sinful. And you know that. If you just see the offering plate, go, I just, I'm just kind of enjoying this idea that we're not collecting an offering. Hopefully we're praying about that as we go. But... As that happens, as that offering plate goes through the aisles, there's a fear of not looking like you're giving that can actually lead you to give, that God doesn't count as giving. Because you didn't do it in faith, you did it in fear of what people thought about you, not about what God thought about you. Do you see what I'm saying? So there's all kinds of fears that keep us from hearing God clearly and obeying him purely. Everybody's pulled up your hands, like purely. Like you want your hands clean. Fear will keep your hands from getting clean. Now, this is very hard on the flesh. I, to me, abiding in God or hearing him and obeying him requires the death of our reliance on our thoughts, emotions, and will. This is difficult to do. And the older I get, the more difficult I find it. There are certain thought patterns I have inside of me that if you would have told me this when I was five years old, I would have had a lot easier time dealing with them then than I'm having now. There are certain things I believe are true that are not true, but they're just a habit of believing they're true, and I'm in a culture of believing they're true. So I want to spend my time actually asking Jesus, highlight these things inside me that I can't see. I don't want to find all the things I can see, all the sin I can see and be like, here you go, Jesus. That's what you get. I want him to show me stuff I can't see. You see what I'm saying? That's what Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, to go back to that example, he could not see what Jesus was seeing about his ability to endure, right, and resist his own flesh. Endure trouble from those Roman soldiers and resist his own flesh. He couldn't see that. He was seeing it exactly opposite. No, we're going to resist those Roman soldiers. Jesus, I'm with you. We're good. And even Jesus that night was like, I'm not good, Father. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Hebrews 12, 3 to 11. For consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Look at that word in blue, endured. That's, what, that's the way Jesus dealt with sinners. He endured their hostility. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet, everybody say it, resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you haven't forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. Now, this, this passage is so clear. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. The bloodshed he's talking about is striving against sin. It's not striving against people. It's not talking about getting hurt by a sword because you're fighting against bad people. This is talking about striving against your own sin to the point where you start to bleed. Jesus did this. He resisted his own self-leadership to the point that he bled, sweat, blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Do you see this resistance? It's talking about you. He's talking about you in context. If once, you, once you see this, the Bible will make so much more sense. He's not jumping from topic to topic. This is all the same topic. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, that means if you let God show you where you're not resisting sin and you're not enduring people, right? If you let him show you that, then you're his son. God deals with you as a son. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you're without chasing, if you can't hear that, you can't hear how you're the problem and everybody else, yeah, they're a problem, but of course they are. They're everybody else. If you can't hear that, then you're not his. You don't get to be his. You actually have to let him correct you, okay? Now, there's an asterisk on this. Everybody signs up for this in a message. It's when somebody starts talking badly about you, treating you bad, misunderstanding you, that your natural mode is self-defense, self-preservation. That's your natural mode. You actually have to, over time, learn to not let that be your natural mode. So don't be hard on yourself. If you don't do this automatically, nobody does. Set your gaze to do it better the next time with the help of the Holy Spirit, okay? If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate in that sense. Who gets out of the chastening? None. None people. All are partakers. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit. So the hard things that Jesus says to us, they're because he's generous. He's not stingy, he's not angry, he's not disappointed, he's like let me tell you this because I really want you to come through that door and come with me he's generous, the warnings are his generosity but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present so the writer of Hebrews is like yeah I get that I'm saying to you it's his mercy, it's his generosity that gives you the warning but I also get that your flesh can't receive that so know that about yourself. Know that you're going to recoil at the chastening of God. That doesn't make you bad. What makes you bad is if you can't recognize that and then say, that was actually good that you did that. It's good that you let that trouble into my life so that I could stop trying to resist people and start trying to resist my own flesh, my own fear, my own shame, my own worries. Okay? Now, no chastening seems joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields a peace, this peaceable fruit of righteousness, to those who have been trained by it. So what did Jesus resist unto bloodshed? His own will, clearly, according to the scripture. Luke 22, 42 to 44. This is him in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. This is what happens when you just say yes to the process, even when you're not feeling it. He was not feeling it. God sends help. If you say no to the process, no, this can't be right. It can't be right that this would happen because I've been faithful or it can't be right that this would happen. I did the right thing. Jesus did the right thing. Then you will not get that angelic help that you so desperately need to endure. The first step in enduring is actually admitting that it's, it's God's will, not yours that matters. It's actually his rights, not yours. It's his vision, not yours. It's his thoughts, not yours. His emotions, not yours. And then he sends help. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Does the help take away the pain? No. (laughs) The help helps you go through the pain. Endure it. Endure, right? The trouble. This sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's what that Hebrews uh, 12 verse 4 is talking about. Jesus did not pray the trouble away. He wanted to, though. He wanted to. He did not pray a self-defense. He did not pray vindication right then, though he will get it. What he prayed is obedience to the will of somebody else. That what he prayed was, not my will but yours, but this stinks. This hurts. This is terrible. It's not wrong that he saw it as stinking, hurting, and terrible. Right? True witnesses don't resist people. They endure them. They love Enemies. They bless those who curse them and pray for those who use them. True witnesses resist their own will and the demons that inspire that will to self-leadership, self-preservation, and the delusion of self-salvation. You cannot save yourself. All your efforts to keep the bad things from happening, God will not let them prevail until he does momentarily to let you go. If he's not your savior, you're not going to heaven. If Jesus is not your defender, you're not going there. If he's not your protector, if he's not Jehovah Rapha, your doctor, you ain't going there. He's God there, and he will always be God there. So we have to recognize Jesus is my protector. Tom, if I cower behind him from the little puffball, at some point I got to deal with that fear, and I got to say, that puff ball was made by the same one who made me. He holds me. It's going to be okay. Now, is that condemnation, Samantha? We talk about this all the time. No. What is that? an invitation, right? It's an invitation to do it differently. Does does God still like Samantha when she's hugging Tom and looking at the puffball? Absolutely. And he's like, you've gotten so much victory over fear. You kissed a dog last week, right? I mean, I'm telling the truth. He's not disappointed in our failure. He already knows it's there. We're the ones disappointed in our failure." We're the ones that are tempted to lie to ourselves and be like, it's okay, that's the way I am, or it's okay, that I had this history, it made this happen in my heart, that's just the way, I, he loves me the way I am. No, he does love you the way you are, but he has a vision of you free from fear. He has a vision of you free from manipulation of your own flesh that's trying to keep you from the leadership of God forever. Does that make sense? Okay. So true witnesses resist their own will and the demons that inspire them to self-leadership. So there's there's a spirit of fear. There's a spirit of greed. There's a spirit of jealousy. But the spirit of fear, the spirit of greed, and the spirit of jealousy, they aren't your main problem. If they don't have anything in you, they can't do anything to you. It's when they find something in you, they... And when you get free of them, you've got to fill that space with the truth of how God feels about you. And God feels great about you. I want to tell you that. He feels gr- You would not be breathing if he didn't feel pretty good about you. He's the one giving you the ability to even be alive or to think or to hear the sound of my voice or to bring you to a church meeting or to tell you the truth of the word. I mean, just the fact that we all own one of these, we should be like, God, why have you lavished so much favor on me? In all of world history, most people never saw one of these. And if you give one of these to somebody who's a believer in a country where they don't have very many of these, they will break down crying that they got one. We are just immersed in the lavish, I love the way Steph says this, in the lavish love of Jesus. And we got to let that get into our hearts so we can get victory over fear. Do you see what I'm saying? It's all fear. And fear, it breeds all kinds of stuff. Okay. So true witnesses resist their own will, and the demons inspire them to self-leadership, self-preservation, and the delusion of self-salvation. Jesus wanted to save himself, clearly, according to the scripture. That was what was on his mind, actually, as the answer to the persecution. And I'm going to give you this passage in just a second. Top of Jesus' mind was what he could do about the problem. He had a way to resist the people that were coming to arrest him, and he was clear about that. He just picked to not do it. This is what God's inviting us to do. So there are some things in your lives that you're afraid of happening. There's some things you're afraid of running out of. There's some things you're afraid of getting. There's some things you're afraid of having to deal with. And Jesus says, just because you think you can deal with it doesn't mean you're a witness of me in the way that I dealt with it. Endure the trouble. Resist your own self-leadership. Resist your flesh in the way that you react to trouble. And what you will find is God will lead you through that trouble in a way that is way more effective than you're spinning your wheels and striving against the thing. And Most of us have trouble or fear that comes up perennially over and over and over and over. And he's like, once you go through it, you never have to go through it again. I, had a ter- I just want to tell you, in 2011, August of 2011, I was at a Jesus Culture. Tom and Jen were there. We were at this Jesus Culture Awakening event. There were like 15,000 people in this stadium in Chicago. And, and a, week, a week from that event, I was supposed to speak at my church for the very first time. I was terrified. It made me want to throw up. It made me so violently sick to think about the fact that I had to do it. I had a message prepared that I had practiced literally probably about 50 or 60 times. I knew it verbatim. I knew exactly how long it took, 43 minutes. I could probably say it to you right now if I wanted to. And in that meeting, there's a lady named Cindy Jacobs that I don't even really like that much, but Lord, forgive me for that. And she said, everybody who's afraid of public speaking, stand up. And I stood up (laughs) and she's like, I bind the fear of speaking over you and all this stuff. And I didn't feel a thing. And i was like, that'd be wonderful if that magic really worked. But that didn't work. And I don't even know if I trust that lady. And I went and I spoke and I was terrified. And I spoke for about six months after that, terrified every single time. And when I was no longer terrified, I was no longer terrified. And God said to me when it ended, he said, don't ever go back to that fear. Don't ever pick it up because you like the attention it gets you when you say it. It's gone. Let it be gone. And I think it was cuz City Jacobs prayed for it. It just didn't happen right that second. There when you're free of the fears that you have over and over and over you're free. Isn't that and that's glorious, right? Don't you want to be free? I want to declare to you today, there is freedom in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is freedom in the way that he resisted the blood of Jesus Christ resisted his own self will till it came out of his body. There's freedom in that blood. There's freedom in following this man this way endure the trouble resist you resist your own self-leadership and you will find freedom no one can kill what's already dead no one can kill it if it's already dead it's got nothing on you jesus wanted to save himself that was what was on his mind as the answer to the persecution this was also what was on peter's mind peter fell away that night and jesus became the greatest witness of the father the earth will ever see. By crying in a garden, praying and sweating blood, resisting his own will, Jesus became the greatest witness of the Father the earth will ever see. Peter, in his arrogance, thinking, I'm ready to die for you, not staying awake, not praying, not showing up with Jesus to the meeting. What he did was gave us the preeminent witness of a guy so close to Jesus, called to such a high purpose that the church would be built on this rock, falling away. He fell away that night. He denied the Lord his Savior three times. If he had been filled with the Spirit, Hebrews 6 says he couldn't have been saved, but he hadn't gotten the Holy Spirit yet. He hadn't gotten the ability to endure. He hadn't gotten the ability to resist. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell him. Your flesh, son, is weak, but the Spirit is willing. The Spirit is willing for you. It's willing for you. It's willing for you. You can get free of the things that Satan uses to stop you. You really can. But it will be a process of you saying no to you and you saying God your will not mine I'm not going to manage all of the bad things that might happen I'm actually going to come before you and tell you the bad thing already happening I'm afraid I'm greedy I'm worried and what he will do is free us there's a witness it's going to shine on this earth as the darkness increase as the fear increases there's a witness it's rising up right now. Even at the sound of my voice, I'm preaching to you good news. Good news. Instead, Jesus endured the trouble that obedience brought him. Obedience brought Jesus that trouble. And I want to tell you, according to Job's story, most of the trouble in your life is because of, the, of your obedience. Most of the trouble in your life, because you're a born of the Spirit, Sealed in the blood believer, most of the trouble in your life is because you're on the right track. This is clear in the Bible. And if you just see it as the devil, you diminish God's working in your life so much. And you'll resist your own cross. If you see all the trouble, all the resistance, all of the misunderstanding you, all of the saying wrong things about you, if you see that all is from the devil, you will miss your own cross. You don't want to do that. I've done it. I've done it. He obeyed. Jesus resisted his own will, and he obeyed God unto victory. Matthew 26, 52 to 54. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, speaking to Peter. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he'll provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus had the number in his mind. I mean, it wasn't like he didn't know what to do. And it's not like he couldn't. He just picked not to. And he said, Peter, you got to follow me in this, man. you got to follow me in this exact same thing. And when he restored Peter, how did he restore him? He said, when when you were young, you went where you wanted to. But now you're going to go where I want you to. You're going to resist your own will. You're going to endure trouble. And Peter did. Peter, he endured trouble to the point when they wanted to crucify him. He said, no, turn me upside down. Don't crucify me like my Lord. He invited it. We've got to be witnesses of this man. We are not witnesses of this man, but we can be. And the way that we become witnesses is we endure the trouble, we resist our own self leadership. Do you hear what I'm saying? Have I said that a couple of times? What are you a witness of? Bible knowledge. God gave me this list. Tom, are you a witness of Bible knowledge? Mostly. God blessing your self preservation efforts. Hey, I got this testimony. I made it through squeaky clean. Nothing touched me. I got the money. I got the position. I got the stuff. Jesus loves me. Does that sound like Hebrews 11? Zero sounds like Hebrews 11. God showing off your good ideas, good personality, natural wisdom. Are you a witness of that? We mostly want to be. When we worry about what we sound like, when we worry about we're not understood, we worry about what we sound like. We're mostly worried about this, being a witness of our good ideas, our good personality, our natural wisdom, our skills. That's to be human. But we have to be a people that get free of that. We actually have to be a people that are like, I want to be a witness of the power of God. I actually want to be a witness of my own weakness so that God can be seen as glorious, taking a lump like me and doing anything with them is amazing. Right? And he's like, you're not a lump. Let me show you how beautiful you are when you're plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit. You're actually made for a really specific purpose that you can't possibly do without the Holy Spirit. I just pictured like a toaster, like the best toaster. Like, let's say, you know, what is a Macy's toaster? A Jacobson, if you were old enough to remember Jacobson's. A Jacobson's toaster, just sitting on the counter unplugged, toasts about as much as, you know, two pancakes stuck together. But a toaster plugged into the wall? does what it's supposed to do. You don't even know what you're supposed to do until you're plugged into the Holy Spirit. You can't even be the thing, the perfect thing you're designed to be apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So it'd be way better to do one piece of toast plugged in than to have a billion pieces of bread go through you and never change. Do you see what I'm saying? We think we're doing so much for Jesus. If we got a big number or we have people listening to us, we get a bunch of likes, that's got nothing to do with it. We're being a great witness for Jesus if our weakness is shown and we have a testimony that but for the grace of God, I'm still here. I'm still doing it only because he helped me. I, this is where I screwed up. This is where I got it wrong. This is where I was afraid. This is the thing He gave me victory over. That's what you read about in here, right? Do you, have you read a lot about Moses' oratory skill and how he honed his practice and got really good and that's why God used him to part the Red Sea? No. You hear him saying, God, I can't do this. I'm too young. I don't know how to speak. And God being like, fine, I'll give you brother, Aaron. (laughs) Right? Abraham's testimony is one of faithfulness. When I read Abraham's testimony, I'm like, God, I don't see the faithfulness. I see the guy getting like his, you know, his wife's helper to help have a baby. I see him getting rid of the lady that had the baby illegitimately. I see all this failure. And God's like, you can't see the witness. I see it. I see the faith. But we're still talking about Abraham's faith because God's talking about Abraham's faith. If God wasn't talking about Abraham's faith, we wouldn't be either. God is the one who does the math on Abraham, and God is the one who does the math on you. Most people gave up on Paul. You read Paul's testimony. He, by the end of Paul's ministry, he's like, this guy left, this guy left, this guy left. This is the only person left with me. Everybody else did the math on Paul's faithfulness. and are like, no. God did the math on Paul's faithfulness, and we're still talking about Paul. Let God do the math on your faithfulness. Nobody else, okay? What are you a witness of? Someone trying to fix the trouble in their own life. Are you a self-help witness? Well, if we just do this, this, and this, it's going to go better for you. That's not the witness of Jesus. Did he say that to anybody? No, he made them better, and he said, stop sinning, <laughs> or it's going to come back. He made them better. There's no witness, so okay, let's read this book, and come back, and I'm going to do this thing with you. And then we'll do this thing, and then you'll stop being an idiot. He never said that to anybody, ever. Are you a witness of someone resisting their own thoughts, emotions, and will and letting God lead, justify, and save you through obedience to an unseen and misunderstood leadership while enduring the people around you who hate you and that you're doing something misunderstood? Is that your witness? I'm going to read that one more time. Is this your witness? Someone resisting their own thoughts their own emotions and will, letting God lead, justify, and save them through obedience to an unseen and misunderstood leadership while enduring the people around them who hate that they're doing something misunderstood. That's the biblical witness. That is the biblical witness. That's the only one. I'm either a witness of my own capabilities or I'm a witness of God's. I cannot be both. I can't be a witness of God and me at the same time. I either have to be a witness of God's capabilities or I'm a witness of everything else. You see what I'm saying? Under the shadow of God. Psalm 91, 1 to 9. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall up. Wow. I just realized something. I got like 15 to 20 extra minutes to talk because worship went short. I'm joking. 50. Jen says, I got 50 extra minutes to talk. Thank you, Jen. Everybody give me an Amen. I'm just joking. I've got about 5 minutes left. Okay. Psalm 91 1 to 9. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. You know all, you know this passage, okay? The safe place that this is describing only comes from the death of our own self-leadership. You can only get into this safe place under the shadow By dying to your own self-leadership. So you could be like, just trusting in the Lord. A thousand could fall on my right. Ten thousand at my left. They will not touch me because I trust in the Lord. But then be afraid of running out of money. You could be resisting all the people who don't get you. You can be greedy. You can be all these things. You can be actually resisting all the external enemies with this very same statement. And then enduring all of your rebellion and bad witness of Jesus. Jesus. And you cannot be in that secret place. You can say it all day long, but you can't be there. That's what Peter did, right? He's like, I'm ready to die with you. I'm in this secret place with you. Jesus, we're together. Jesus like, no, we aren't. <laughs> no, we're not, buddy. Because you're trusting in your flesh, but it's weak, and you don't know it. Actually, to get in this secret place, we have to recognize God will not take second place. To draw near to him is to reject the strength of the world. He hates or rejects double-minded leadership. You can't have both. You can't have the secret place and your own carved out special place of protection. That's called idolatry. Double-mindedness is defined as doubting God's leadership or character, thinking he's harder than he is, and therefore also self-preserving as you try to serve God. Most of us, all of us, start this way. We all start trying to serve God, but also self-preserving. I don't know if I could trust God in this area, but I really trust him. I just got to take care of the money myself. I really trust him. I'm just going to deal with this person myself. If you want to trust God, you got to trust him. You actually have to die to all of the other strengths, okay? I'm going to show this to you in the the Word. So double-mindedness in the Bible is defined as doubting God's leadership or character and thinking he's harder than he is, and therefore also self-preserving as you try to serve God. Now, this is all people, so don't be condemned in this. But there is a grace right now. There's a, a few months I felt like Holy Spirit showed me A few months of grace to get rid of idolatry. This is the main form of idolatry, this double-mindedness, okay? So when you look in the Bible at the idolatry in Israel, the people that God is dealing with, he's never dealing with, like, the Babylonians and their idolatry. He never deals with the neighboring, you know, the Moabites or the Ammonites and their idolatry. They were clearly idolatrous. He deals with Israel's idolatry because Israel thinks she's serving God. This is the idolatry the Bible's talking about. It isn't talking about Buddhism or Hinduism or anything. He's talking about Christians that have two gods, that have the Jehovah of the Bible and, then, and a nice bank account. Both of these are going to keep me provided for. Okay. Thinking he's already I already said. That, James 1, 6 to 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Everybody say doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now you will know where you doubt by what you're afraid of. You know where you doubt God by what you're afraid of. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Draw near to God. This is James 4, a couple chapters later, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Everybody say purify. You double-minded. When you read purify your heart, what he's saying is get rid of your double-mindedness. That's like, just picture my shirt. If I have ketchup on it, you might not even see it because i got a red shirt on, but it's ketchup and a shirt. Is it dirty? If I put it in the washing machine, and the washing machine grinds it all up with the soap and the water, and the ketchup comes off, and I just have a shirt, is it clean? If it's just you being led by the Holy Spirit, pure, sanctified. You, Holy Spirit, and you, dirty, right? Not clean. Ketchup on the shirt. You got to get rid of that. The double-mindedness is the problem that he's addressing in this passage. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. So what this means is you don't get clean to come near to God. You get near to God to come clean. The more you see of God's glory and his power and his love for you, mostly his love for you, the more it will cast out fear. His perfect love will start to cast out your fear. So you don't, you're do not you not like, okay, I didn't read my Bible a lot this week, so I really got no right to lead worship. Or I got no right to do the prayer meeting because I really haven't been in the Lord this week. Well, that's the satanic scheme to get you even further from the Lord. David's heart is, I'm in sin? Lord, I'm coming. And the Lord cleaned David, and he called him a man after his own heart. This is the way that the gospel works. This is good news. This is what makes it good news, is you can't clean yourself up. And if you try to clean yourself up to come near to God, you'll never get there. You'll always be coming up over these same fears and failures and flesh stuff that keeps getting in the way. But you can have victory. You can have victory by running to God in these things, okay? So the purity of righteousness God requires is not about what you do or performance. It's about where you abide for safety, success, impact, provision, health, and wisdom. Safety of your physical body. What is your plan for the safety of your physical body? What is your plan for your success in God and in the world? What is your plan for impact? What is your plan for provision, health, and wisdom? What's your plan for health? Steph, what's your plan for health? Trust in the Lord. Will the Lord have you go to a doctor? Sometimes, yes. But if you trust in the doctor, is that trusting in the Lord? No. If you trust in you, is that trusting in the Lord? No, of course not. This is not hard. You don't have to have one for the other. Just God's got to be God. And what he tells you to do is what he tells you to do. So we trust in the Lord. When I have trouble coming my way, I trust in the Lord. I don't trust in the big machine gun or the Copious amounts of money or the doctor, I trust in the Lord. And if he says, go to the doctor, then I go to the doctor. If he says, go through that thing, I'm going to carry you. Go through it. He carries you. You do what he says. Heaven is full of people doing what God says. Some were sawn too. Some didn't take the way of escape. They went through it because that's what God told them to do. And they are witnesses of Jesus. Jesus could have taken the way of escape. He didn't in that moment. Did he want to? Yes. Did he pray about it? Absolutely. Do you think that God could have said, okay, son, no cross for you? Yes, he could have. He didn't. So what is God telling you about the trouble coming your way? You don't know until you ask him. You don't know until you wait on the answer. And you might be surprised. There might be some trouble he wants you to avoid. There might be some trouble he wants you to go through. And if you're listening to your flesh, you'll make all the wrong choices in that. And you'll be a terrible witness, not of Jesus, but of self-led, self-willed people claiming Jesus, completely destroying the witness of him so no one can get saved. It says that of Israel and their, their shepherds, their leaders, it says it wasn't enough for you to eat all the best parts. You had to trample the water in the process so that nobody could drink. God isn't looking for us to do a bunch of stuff for him and make a mess so nobody can find him. That's where we're at right now in the world. It's hard for people to find him because it's hard for people to see a witness of the death of self. But, but God, right now, he's raising up a witness. So perfection in the Bible isn't perfect execution. It's complete desire to be submitted to God at the cost of your logic, feelings, and strength. And I give you that Matthew 5, to 48 passage. And that's talking about loving your enemies, blessing those who curse you, doing good to those who hate you. And then at the end, it says, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Does, does the Father resist evil people or does he endure them? He endures them or else we'd all be dead. <laughs> he endures them. We need to be like him. So the Father is perfectly holy. So we resist what's not holy and we endure what the Father endures. Does that make sense? Matthew 6, 21 to 24, for where your treasure. So, oh, to be under God's shadow is to be covered by his presence. To be covered by the God's presence is to cast away every other shadow or every other strength, every other thing you would hide under, right? You can't have, be, be under, like, his shadow and the shadow of something else. That means that something's towering over him. So we have to actually just get into his shadow. We leave all the other shadows behind. We get out of all those other ones. Matthew 6, 21 to 24. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. So you can actually tell yourself, I'm in the light, but you're actually in the darkness. And when you do that, the darkness gets deeper. It's harder to see your way out. It's much better. To not think you're in the light because you're resisting the bad stuff, but to actually know you're in the light when you're resisting your own self-leadership. You're always in the light when you're resisting your own self-leadership in the name of Jesus, when you're asking him. You might not feel it. The bad stuff might be increasing. You might look unsuccessful to everybody, but if you're in the light, you know it. You're in the light. But if you're not in the light and you're just gauging on what's happening externally, you'll get deeper and deeper in darkness. That's called delusion and not knowing, okay? Okay. Now, the end time judgments we are currently in are designed to provoke our flesh either to self-preservation or to death. And I give you all the seven or the the first five seals here. So there's five seals at the beginning of the end time judgment that I just want to highlight. It's gonna take me literally a minute and a half, and I'm looking at the clock. I know I've gone a little bit long. Okay, so the first seal is oppressive government. Okay? That means God wants you vulnerable, enduring. And resisting your flesh response to these things, oppressive government. Most of the church cannot endure oppressive government. Everyone in the Bible endured oppressive government. Most of the church, their flesh response to oppressive government is a compromise of holiness. That's dirtying. It's actually making the darkness deeper, not lighter. Okay, Interpersonal conflict, the second seal. From the family level to the international level, even unto people wanting to kill you, that's the second seal, most people can not endure the per- interpersonal conflict that way. They actually try to resist it. They try to make it all okay. I want everybody clear. I want everybody to see. Jesus did not do this. Jesus endured interpersonal conflict and he resisted his flesh's desire to be seen as righteous, as holy, as wise, as lawful. Remember when his disciples were p- picking up the wheat on the Sabbath day? And he did not, he did not give into his flesh to actually say, I am God, I made that law, right? He endured Pharisees telling him about God. He is God. Interpersonal conflict, financial reckoning, loss, gain, that's the third seal. So the the financial reckoning of the third seal, some people are gonna have a lot less. Some people are actually gonna have a lot more. Some people in this room are gonna have a lot less. Some people in this room are gonna have a lot more. They're both a test. They're both a test to see what your flesh does and how you are willing to resist, right? Resist your flesh and endure the circumstance. God gives you a bunch of money. That doesn't mean you suddenly have license to do whatever you want with it if you're gonna stay in the leadership of God. You actually, that gives you more things to take to God and talk to him about. If you have nothing, that doesn't give you license to then do whatever you can to get. It's actually more reason to resist your flesh. You see what I'm saying? It's not all, hey, if you're broke, that's God loving you, and you got a lot of money, you must be a sinner, and, and vice versa. Neither one of those is true. Those are circumstances. God's talking about the leadership of our soul in circumstances. Okay? War, famine, sickness and disease, pestilence, animal attacks, even little puff balls. I put that in there on purpose. That's the fourth seal. Samantha, the fourth seal is animal attacks. So what God says is, Endure the trouble, talk to him about it, resist your flesh in it. Sam's just an easy example because it's, it's harmless. But I'm, I'm actually talking about all of you for other things. All these things, war, famine, sickness, disease, pestilence, animal attacks, loss, financial loss, interpersonal conflict, oppressive government. Endure the trouble, resist your flesh. If you want that, stand with me. God told me, he says, you can't try to save enough money or food to endure the great tribulation and still be under the shadow of God's wing. you got to pick one or the other. Because I am having a hard time with the idea of spending what I have on obedience. But if I don't, I don't have anything. Because God is my provider, not my bank account. So if you want this, if you want a grace to start to see where you're resisting the trouble And enduring your own flesh, He'll give it to us. Don't ask for this if you don't want it, though. You either want to follow Jesus or you don't. If you want to follow Jesus, ask for this. And then when He does it, don't be surprised. Okay? Pray with Him. He says, Pray with me. I prayed these same things. I prayed to the point where I sweat blood. Holy Spirit, in this room right now, would you come? Would you give us eyes like fire? All over this room right now, eyes like fire to see what the Holy Spirit already sees. Now, we want to see where our flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing. Yeah, we want to see where our methods of self-preservation are actually putting us in a prison. God says this over some of us. He says, your method of self-preservation, you never get free of the frustration. It never goes. Your self-preservation is putting you in the prison. God, help us to endure what we see as trouble. God, give us a grace to resist our own efforts to self-save, to self-preserve. Fill this room right now with light. Fill it more, more Holy Spirit. I just thank you Father for sending angels, delivering Brother Vince earlier today. I see many more angels in this room right now. They're waiting for an assignment from you. They actually want you to tell them what to resist. There are demons they have nothing to do with your enemies. They're assigned to you. And the Lord says, I've got unemployed angels that will resist that with you if you want. I have unemployed angels that will resist these fears if you want. And you got to take your eyes off of what you think is the trouble. He says, put it on me. Put it on you. Let's talk. Let's talk. Holy Spirit, right now in this room, assign angels. God, I am so afraid of running out of money and looking like an idiot. I know it's inspired by a demon because I know that's not true. But I keep being pulled into this fear. Assign an angel against it in the name of Jesus. Assign an angel against it in Jesus' name. What's your fear? What do you want to be a witness of? There are angels ready to be employed right now. Assign them in the name of Jesus'